0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Dentist and Invest podcast, episode number 50, the half century, would you believe? And we have got an absolutely incredible guest with us today to speak on something which is very hot at the moment crypto. Crypto is hot, the bull market. Does, is it still living? Is it dead? That's something that we're going to cover later on uh, on the on the podcast, of course. I'm super excited to bring to you the 50th ep- episode, like I say. Tremendous that we've finally made it to half a century. And like I say, I wanted to commemorate it with something special. And to do that today, we've got Sudu in front of us who runs CoinFlex, which is a massive, massive, massive crypto exchange. And we are super privileged to have him today on the podcast. Sudu, how are you?
1: Um good, James. Uh, thank you for having us and having me.
0: No problem whatsoever. It's my absolute pleasure. So I guess what people would like to know, Suru, people that don't know you, they might just like to know a little bit about you, your relationship with crypto and how you transitioned from a, the traditional finance world to the crypto world. A lot of people will be interested in hearing that. Because traditional finance seems so much more stable, I suppose, is the conventional wisdom as opposed to the crypto world. So what, what did you see in there? That is something we're going to delve into later. And also a little bit about CoinFlex too would be nice. Just a little bio just to start us off if that's good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So. Um Coinflex is a, a spin-off from Coinfloor, which is the uh, UK's oldest uh, GBP to Bitcoin spot exchange here in London and uh, my co-founder Mark was the founder of Coinfloor. um he's been running exchanges for about 8 or 9 years he left university to um to buy and sell crypto Bitcoin particularly in pubs from uh, all around London and uh, as that business grew bigger he formed an exchange which was Coinfloor. my background um It's from the traditional space. I have 20 years of trading derivatives, which are futures and options. I used to trade single stocks and kind of run a team at Merrill Lynch here in London. I used to be a senior trader at DRW and a bunch of other hedge funds. And about four years ago, I started sort of reading up around crypto. It was sort of early 2017. And in the online and on on the press, there was a lot of mention about Bitcoin. I knew nothing about it, like a lot of people. Uh, started going to meetups around London and uh, bumped into Mark, essentially. And it was a very interesting time in his thought process because he was looking to grow CoinFloor beyond just spot trading and into futures. And I knew everything about futures and zero about crypto. And so we kind of hit it off. We essentially did a management buyout from uh, CoinFloor off the futures business. We spun it out to Hong Kong and uh, launched there about three years ago.
0: That is super exciting. And CoinFlex is a huge exchange now. Turnover of 400 million, is
1: that correct, Sudou? Uh Actually, uh, 400 million is in, in one of our products. Um, if you include our repo markets, we trade about 4 billion a day. Oh, um, a day? So we're still not the um, in the top five exchanges um, in the world globally because it's a, it's a big market, Binance being the biggest by far. Um, and they trade around 80 billion to, by give, to give you by way of comparison. Uh, we're in the sort of next set, the bottom set of five. So somewhere between five and 10 and, and growing fast.
0: That is incredible. Wow. So privileged to have yourself on the podcast today. So Suru, just as we said earlier, what I'd really like to touch upon, because a lot of people will be interested to hear it. This, what did you see in crypto that led you to leave the, tr- the security of the traditional finance world?
1: Yeah. So for me really the turning point was that I started to see how you could control your own money and um uh and the, and what I mean by that is obviously there's the, the simple case of where uh, you can just hold your bitcoins and bitcoin cash in your own wallet and carry it around with you put it in a safe at home or in, in a safety deposit box but beyond that uh, what I saw in crypto is that you could actually directly access markets yourself as an individual. So for example um you know I'll give you an example to help. So if you're like um James and you want to trade uh, carbon futures, for example, you would have to go to IG or IB and basically open an account. And that account opening process is very, very lengthy. Uh, you know, they ask you about your knowledge, you'll take several weeks, to do KYC and stuff. And if you pass that, then you're sort of allowed to trade carbon. Now, that's the first roadblock you have to get through this. The second roadblock is that you know, IB, for example, may say yet yeah, your minimum trade size is Ten thousand pounds. Now, you know these are these are not things that is accessible to everyone. Whereas with crypto, if you look at that same journey, where let's just say you wanted to trade on Coinflex. Um, there is no minimum, I think it's maybe ten dollars as a minimum trade, and to open an account, you open it directly with us. so there is no middleman sitting between us and the exchange and those are the things that I saw in crypto, which for the first time i'd never seen in the traditional space that really attracted to me that that you were fundamentally in charge and solely responsible, good and bad, because you can't blame somebody else for decisions you make, but you're solely responsible for for investing your your own money and trading your own money. And that's what really attracted me to it. It's essentially, we call it you know, democratizing finance, and it really does. So,
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And that's one of the, the principal philosophies of crypto, isn't it, that you take back control of your wealth and the principal philosophies of Bitcoin too, that instead of having something which is fundamentally an asset that inflates uh, and its value decreases over time, such as cash, cash is what we're all administered, we're practically given and administered and on a daily basis by the powers that be. And inherently there are some massive flaws with cash and abuse of power by the individuals who control how much that is created. And that was what inspired Bitcoin or inspired the, a lot of the space basically and, Obviously, Bitcoin is the father of the space, so it all grew from there from taking back control, which is why a lot of people say the true philosophers in crypto say not your keys, not your wallet, and they like to take their crypto off the exchange exchanges. Although that doesn't apply so much nowadays, because it's not like exchanges just go whimsically bust as frequently as they did, certainly in the in the in the early days. So Sudhu, you have created CoinFlex, you believe in crypto crypto still has a lot of detractors out there that somehow don't think it has a future. What would you say to those people?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it's a very common mudsling that crypto has had since um, you know, 2008, which was that it's for uh money launderers and and um, you know, so forth. Now, in the early days, you know, there was Silk Road and there was certainly a lot of this going on because if you wanted to buy drugs or or whatever it was, you could, you know, the easiest way was to use Bitcoin. Now, the good thing about uh, 2021 is that there is a lot of blockchain-based uh, um technology like chain analysis who we use, or elliptic, another big blockchain provider, where they can basically, because it's on public ledgers, they can go up and go back and look at where the history of these coins have come from, you know, almost like 50 hops. Now, I'll tell you why that's important. For example, if you're a bank and you're a Barclays bank here and you receive money from HSBC, you don't check as a bank that it's fine beyond HSBC, because you're like, well, HSBC sent Barclays the money, so it must be fine. Now, behind HSBC, there might have been Mexican drug lords or money launderers or a bunch of people behind there, potentially, as I'm using this as an example, who might have used the system. But as far as I'm concerned, as Barclays, I received it from HSBC, so everything's good. Now, in crypto, we don't take anyone's word for it. So even if we know that you, James, are sending CoinFlex uh, your assets, and but you may be a stand-up guy, and we know each other personally, for example. Even then, we will use blockchain technology to go back about 50 hops behind to see where these coins are coming from. And so what that means is that we have a very, very accurate way in crypto to look at coin origination, to see whether it's clean coins, dirty coins, mixed coins, anything like that. Um, and so these big firms, which are both unicorns and also used by the US government and other governments to, to monitor blockchains, um, they, they basically came out with some analysis last year that saying that less than 1% of crypto transactions were suspect, which by the way, is a way, way, way lower number than for cash. So, um, it is definitely something these accusations was definitely something that probably, probably were or could have been true at the start. Then it's no longer the case in my view.
0: Awesome. Brilliant. And where do you see crypto going over the next few years? Where do you see it in terms of taking a greater role within our lives, becoming more fundamentally woven into the fabric of society?
1: Yeah, look, it's a great question. The, 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 unfortunately, the biggest use case for crypto is payments. And unfortunately, right now crypto is way too volatile for you to use as payments Uh, you know uh, you know i'll give you an example if you go to starbucks today and you wanted to pay in bitcoin cash starbucks by the time you pay for your coffee the bitcoin cash that you sent over the value of it might have decreased or increased right so it creates uncertainty for the vendor starbucks in this case and the person spending it which is you or i um or any of your, your listeners so that uncertainty basically does not encourage crypto to be used as payments. And in in Hong Kong, for example, there are there were comp- there were many restaurants that accepted Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. But again, you have to be kind of careful how you used it because you may want to save Bitcoin, use cash, or spend Bitcoin, use cash. You know, and so it wasn't very clear. Um, so instead, what's been going on in crypto is obviously people are using it as a an investment asset. They buy, it, hold it or trade it right um so where i'd like to see crypto going in the next few years is to use as a payments uh as well because until it's used as payments we can't truly scale into into mainstream society it will remain an alternative asset on the side
0: brilliant there's been some momentum or movement towards that that idea or that use case as you said in day-to-day transactions already, because I believe that Visa have adopted U.S. dollar coin. Although I I know that they're working with them. I don't know much more than that. Perhaps you could go into more detail.
1: Yeah, one of the great innovations and and growth in the last few years in crypto has been stable coins. Um, And stable coins are essentially tokenized dollars. So you send in a dollar to, um, say, Circle or Coinbase, and they will give you one USDC. Now the good thing about that it's it's 1 to 1 with uh with a dollar instrument so it doesn't fluctuate in price than say bitcoin or bitcoin cash would so or or ethereum so um it is becoming a better and better instrument for payments um which is good for the space overall uh, now obviously competing alongside stablecoins are these central bank digital currencies um we you know my view on it is that stablecoins are still by far superior to CBDCs uh because of the fact that they are Easily movable, cross border, you know, seamless, cheap to cheap to transact with. But yeah, so you know, uh, if a few years ago if you looked at stable coins, there were probably about 15 billion dollars in circulation. Stable coins are now closer to 125 billion, so uh, a huge growth space. And of course, as Coinflex, you know, we'll chat on this later. But we've got our own um, yield-bearing stable coin, Flex USD. And so there's a lot of innovation going on in the uh, stable coin space.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, we will absolutely bring up Coinflex. I wanted to know a little bit more about it, actually, because I know that Coinflex. You'll be able to explain it better than me. It's a combination of a decentralized exchange and a centralized exchange. It's got there. It's got both features. And you believe that Coinflex improves upon the current the current options that we have in terms of exchanges. So, would you like to just maybe go into that in a little bit more detail? what Coinflex yeah. does differently.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we haven't quite got there yet. We're, we're still a couple of months out. But essentially, you have two types of exchanges in crypto, which which does not exist in the traditional space. One's a centralized exchange, which is the same as LIFE or ICE or CME, uh, which is the same as traditionals or TradFi. Uh, and on on in crypto, we have this thing called decentralized exchanges, where they're f- fully automated, smart contract-based. And they both have their pros and cons. And you know, a lot of people will choose between one exchange or or another, one type or the other. Whereas at Coinflex, we want to take but the best of both. Uh, and so, for centralized exchanges, the 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 uh, the massive pro is uh, the way the orders trade in the order book, the way orders are matched. So we're keeping that part. Decentralized, in our view, is the best part about it. Is doesn't control uh your assets. So we're basically taking uh the combination or what you call a hybrid of the DeFi and C to to make the next generation of CoinFlex. And uh what that means is that uh we you we buy ourselves, you know you used the term not your keys, um not your coins earlier. Uh what right now if you send assets to CoinFlex or any other C exchange, we hold your assets. So we could be hacked with it we could move it we could run off with it you know lots of exchanges have you know a lot of exchange users have this risk when we decentralize the custody part we will become one signatory amongst many around the world so we're mitigating that risk you know a, a, a substantial amount
0: well that's why i mean decentralized exchanges how long would they have they been around really like over a year and a half when was uniswap created maybe about two years ago
1: a little bit longer than that. They've probably yeah. been around about, about four years or five years. Oh, really? But, but, okay. re- but really, they're, they've boomed in the last uh, two to one and a half years. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that'll be because they align with this philosophy that many crypto enthusiasts have, which is, like, which is that they like to retain custody of their crypto. Absolutely. 100%. Cool. So you've talked a little bit about CoinFlex and how it's maybe a little bit of a hybrid exchange. What inspired you to start CoinFlex? What did you see in the crypto world that you thought, we can improve upon this, we can do it better, let's launch CoinFlex?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it was something that uh, to this day, we're one of the minorities in, which is called physical futures. And, uh, you know, in the traditional space, physical futures are huge. They don't exist in crypto. Um and at a very simplistic level, what physical futures allows you in delivery is that it allows you to build very simple tokenized products that everyone can use. Um And what do I mean by that? It means that essentially um in crypto markets, there's been sort of two, two very, very, lucrative strategies that trading firms and high frequency firms have been able to make a lot of money on off over the last uh, few years. One is called basis trading and the other one is market making. And because we have physical futures, we can actually take both of those products, the basis trading being FlexUSD, the the market making called AMM Plus, and tokenizing it and making it very simple for retail individuals to trade with. So they can kind of uh, send USDC, Press one single button called Mint, and then you have Flex and then in the background, all this really complex um, repo and futures trading, uh, futures um, delivery goes on. But the user can, you know, decide that he wants to understand it, or he can say, you know what, I'll just trust Coinflex and Mint, and and Coinflex takes your money and and sees what what kind of returns he can make for you, and and pays you pays you your interest.
0: That's interesting because I know that. CoinFlex offers a yield of 18% APY per year on deposited stable coins, on minted stable coins, if I'm correct. And that would be what goes on behind the scenes to offer this to people who are uninitiated in the crypto space, this unbelievably high yield. Real quick guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled the seven costly and potentially disastrous mistakes that dentists make whenever it comes to their finances. Most of the time dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentisoninvest.com forward slash podcast report. Or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues. However, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts.
1: Yeah, so it's it's um, it's a it's a variable rate instrument. So to be clear, you know, when you quote the your your APY of 17-18%, it's literally um that's the average over the last seven days or, or two weeks, I think, or something like that. But it's it's a variable rate instrument that basically you send in dollars, um, stable coins, it gets it gets minted and it gets deployed into our repo market. Repo market is an unleveraged borrow lend market. Uh, it trades, we were the first to launch repo in crypto. I think we probably still are uh, the only ones pretty much. It's it doesn't even exist as a central order book in, in traditional markets. Our repo trades are uh, uh, three to four billion a day. Maybe more some days and essentially the yield gets generated in this kind of borrow lend book between participants who buy and sell and you and you know the, what's great about crypto and democratizing finance is this is the first time that uh, individuals can can get take part in these markets because these markets have been the preserve of only the very big banks in the past
0: I see and when you use repo in the, that specific context, what let's let's make that extra clear for anybody who's listening, who maybe doesn't have much of a financial background, what that means.
1: Yeah, repo is essentially a short-term borrow lens. So if um, if I have dollars and I'm have doing nothing with it for the next uh, eight hours to eight months, I can basically say, look, you know, this is the this is the rate that I want to lend my dollars out to somebody who's using Bitcoin to borrow your dollars. So there's someone else on the other side who's got a lot of Bitcoin and he wants some dollars to pay for bills or to trade with. He can then meet with you, pay your rate, give you a rate to borrow your dollars. He will then give you Bitcoin so you have an asset back on your side. So it's fully collateralized lending. And then he will take your dollars and either trade with it, spend it, do whatever he wants. But you've got his Bitcoin. You've got a futures position against it in the background. So you have no market risk and you're essentially just being it's a, it's a, you're being a borrow lend activity.
0: That is so interesting. Wow, that's awesome. And then to get into the real nitty gritty, it's quite often over collateralized as well to account for it the is. volatility of Bitcoin.
1: It is. Yeah, totally. So the, the lender side of it, you know, we'll put down sort of 20 percent margin as well. Views interacting. So in some ways you can say it's 120 percent collateral and uh, it's a phenomenal market that uh, you know it's not something that we dreamt up out of nowhere but it's something that we've designed because we saw it work you know right now to trade repo you have to be like barclays and hsbc and whatever you know and you have to trade with the bank of england you as james do not have access to this market and in crypto in crypto we've just we've created a market where you can interact with the big institutions that's so
0: interesting and yeah. I wanted to ask as well, let's say in the instance of Bitcoin is a Bitcoin can be a cruel mistress sometimes because it can be incredibly volatile. What about if there was to be in the unlikely scenario that Bitcoin had a 20 percent candle in one day, 20 percent downward candle? Is there a safe mm-hmm. mechanism or is it all just a huge, big balance of probabilities that that's so unlikely to happen that it's not really something that we have to account for? So let, let let's use it in the exact example that you were just talking about. Someone's been overcollateralized for this Bitcoin. They've borrowed an amount, a specific amount of dollars from them, and Bitcoin has moved so far down
1: that it's no longer worth them repaying their dollars. Yeah. So, yep, yeah, it's a great question. So, from your perspective, to be clear, as the dollar lender, when you have enter into a repo trade, you you send your dollars out. They give you Bitcoin and you get a short uh, futures position. So you have no market risk as a lender, right? Just to be very clear, that you will, because of physical delivery, you will always end up back in your same dollar position that you started it, right? So you don't have market risk. Now, where the risk that you do have is the guy that you've just mentioned, the guy on the other side of the trade who may take your dollars that he's borrowed off you off platform to use it for something else, right? In that scenario, um, we have this margin... Uh, and liquidation system going like every other exchange where we keep monitoring everyone's positions hundreds of times per second. And if the position becomes close to being uh, uh, under margin, we will liquidate his position. So if in this example, if Bitcoin starts dropping and he doesn't top up with more collateral, we will, we will cut his position. We will liquidate him in the order book to make sure that you have no risk as the other side of the trade. So the the, the risk that you have right here in this example is that we, we, you know, what if it's so quick that we can't do it fast enough yeah. and we lose a bit of money. So that's the risk that you have. Um, but, you know, touch wood so far, we've been through sort of like big 50% type co- corrections in a day and, you know, we haven't had any losses thus far. Uh, but obviously that risk is definitely there and you have to be mindful of it.
0: Okay, this thing's, it's been stress tested then. And, and- That's the thing about the crypto world is not long before things get stress tested because obviously the price can be very volatile, part of the fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, last March, it was, you know, March 13th where we saw like a 50% within hours, right? So, you know, these these sort of moves definitely do happen, will happen again. And and the only way to make sure is to keep going through them and, and surviving them.
0: That's so interesting. And those rates are so much better than what you can get in the traditional world as well.
1: Yeah, look, tr- you know, traditional rates are I think you know zero percent to half a percent, and this is where we've seen such uh, great growth in FlexUSD. USD. So Flex USD, for example, has uh, three hundred and twenty-five million dollars uh, invested into it by uh, by lenders right now. Uh, I think since we launched it back in December, there's probably been about seven hundred and fifty million dollars put into that product, and the reason why people are starting to love it is because the uh, the yield differential, right? 18, 17, 18% versus zero, uh, which is, um, you know, unheard of. And even in crypto, those, those yields are actually huge. You know, forget fiat comparisons because when you send money into USDC or Tether, uh, dollars, they give you a stable coin and they pay you zero with your, with the dollars you send them. They will invest their dollars in sort of, uh, money market instruments and short term debt, for example, in the, in, in TradFi. Um, you know, we do, two things which are which are very helpful to crypto one is that we invest the dollars that people send into crypto into the same crypto markets that they send it in which is repo and secondly whatever interest you earn um we take a 10 percent fee on your interest card but 90 percent of the interest you earn is sent to you every eight hours on chain so no matter where you keep your flex usd you could keep it in your own cold wallet at home you will receive interest on chain every eight hours which is just great great bit of tech
0: and that's so that, in a nutshell, is why the rates are so much better than the traditional
1: world. Yeah, tra- tra- rates are in in so much better because the opportunities are better in crypto. Like when retail uh, futures traders on Binance or Coinflex come in, they buy you know, they buy loads of futures and create yield, um, and. So that creates this kind sort of, you know, basis yield, which is why the high rates are coming. But I mean, let's face it, Jim, the other reason why rates have to be high in crypto is because of the risk you're taking as a lender. Right. You know, when you send in your assets, you're sending it to CoinFlex or Binance uh, or, you know, or, or Huobi or OKX. You're not uh, you're not sending it to, um, you know, you haven't got depositor protection like you have in the in the UK and the US. You're not sending it to uh, State Street, which sits between you and the exchange. If you're trading on LSE, that protects you, you know? I mean, you're taking some real risk here, right? And-
0: uh... 18% is is up there with the best that I've seen on the stablecoin front. What is your personal opinion on these extremely high yield crypto accounts? We're talking decentralized exchanges that have 120% APY on their native token. What do you think about their business model? Is that legit?
1: Um, the, the, if you look at some of the DEXs or uh, DeFi swaps where the yields are up there, in the short term, the, the yields are legit in the sense that uh, what they're doing in the background is that not only are they giving you trading fees like or trading p like AMM Plus does on CoinFlex, they're actually dropping their own uh, exchange tokens or tokens on top to create extra yield. So, if you looked at AMM+, which is yielding like 50% right now, uh, you know, on DeFi, they will give you the 50% and they would chuck in another 50 or 100% using their, their own tokens. So you can see why in that example it works right now, but it's not sustainable over the long run, right? Because you cannot just drop tokens forever. That are made up. So, you know, this is called artificial or juiced yields, and you can't juice these yields forever. So, yes, yes, you can farm this, which is the term for earning this. You can yield farm this in the short term, in the long term, or medium term, and long term, it's, it's not sustainable. Whereas FlexUSD and AMM Plus gets his yield from normal market based activities. We don't airdrop anything to make it artificial. So it also means that you may earn 4% on it one day and 20 the next day because it's mark. It's a market-based rate. And that's why we really like love it because it is truly sustainable in that we can grow it alongside the growth in the crypto space.
0: So when we're talking about those really high-yield accounts, what you're saying is you can't just indefinitely create these tokens and drop them on the market because that will mean that the value is diluted because it's inflationary effectively.
1: Correct. Imagine if you thought... You know, imagine if you were on um one of the swap, swaps and, and that you knew the token drop was, you know, uh um, you know, a hundred thousand tokens a day and you go on for twenty-five years. I mean, you'd never hold the token, right? You'll keep selling it every time you received it because you knew there was like a billion coming in behind you. So so the token price would crash and the yields would drop as well. So it's it's a very tricky tokenomics model to to get to kind of put together in the first place, but Secondly, it is not sustainable beyond the short term.
0: Well, yeah, but I think that you've hit the nail on the head earlier when you were talking about trading those, you know, yield farmers, they're always dipping in and out of whichever accounts they think are going to have the best yield, and they mightn't stay in them for very long, a few weeks. So I suppose if anybody does want to use those platforms, they need to take more of an active management style to their trading versus CoinFlex, which is more passive and will be suited to someone who is more... Time per, shall we say, have I, have I just
1: encapsulated it well there? You have a hundred percent, and yeah, I think this is. I'm going to start using that same same analogy because um you're totally correct. You cannot be on DeFi and not been watching it several times a day and managing your tokens um, on Coinflex. You know, on Flex USD in particular, for example. Uh, You you can actually even watch it, look at it once a week or once a month or even every few months because um, the delivery mechanism and the rebidding means that you'll never pay any charges on it. The worst case is you may earn zero for a couple of days or a couple of periods. But the point is that it's never going to be negative. So, you know, you can be as active as you choose to be on it.
0: Sudhu, thank you so much for that. That is clever stuff. And I'm learning here as well. Sudhu, what do you think the future for First of all, CoinFlex is, and second of all, crypto.
1: Yeah, so the, for CoinFlex, I mean, the way we see the future is that we became, we become the home of crypto yields. And that means that if you are um, a lender, if you're a yield collector, if you're a passive, what we call passive capital, i.e. somebody who has capital, they want to deploy, earn fair rates, cut out the middleman, and just keep growing their kind of investment portfolio in the crypto space, CoinFlex will be your natural home. And so we want to be the go to place for for crypto yields Um, in terms of crypto itself we've you know, I'm particularly bullish on uh, one particular kind of coin, Bitcoin cash. Uh, The reason being is that it's the Bitcoin cash is, you know, stood on the on the shoulders of giants, uh, which was Bitcoin, as you pointed out. Um, but it has very, very cheap payments because of the the large block size it allows. And so I'd like to see more and more crypto. And it may not be Bitcoin Cash. It could be also be other other crypto assets. It can't be Bitcoin because it's too expensive and and too slow. But essentially, um, I'd like to see crypto being used for payments because once we see that and we walk around uh, Europe and and the, and and the rest of the world and you see signs for hey we accept crypto. And, you know, you see it in Venezuela and, you know, in Argentina and El Salvador and places like that. You know, as they, as more countries adopt this, we will see crypto use for payments. And that's, that's where I see the turning point for, for crypto going mainstream.
0: And on what you were just talking about there, governments endorsing crypto. Do you think that that is something that's going to continue or will they reach a point where crypto gets so big that they see it as a threat and they go all out to ban it? What's in it for them if they permit crypto to become bigger?
1: yeah look it's a great question because obviously the smaller countries that have very high inflation or who are short of dollars or have you know um issues accessing banking, crypto is a very very useful use case right It make complete sense now if you're the u s or the British government or the European government, I mean you know you can see crypto as a threat because you can't control it you know i landed um uh you know you know you land at um different airports and what it always tickles me to this day when I see signs saying, if you're carrying more than $10,000 or £10,000, you must sign a form and let customs know. And now, meanwhile, you could have a um, a flash drive with your Bitcoin on and you could be carrying $100 million worth of Bitcoin and no one would know. In fact, you don't even need a hash. If you remember the um, your seed phrases you can have it in your head and and go to any cafe and reconstruct your your wallet now or just
0: a piece of paper you could just write a little piece of paper that's yeah. worth 100 million
1: right yeah so so this is where governments are going to be totally anti it right so so there's lots of things in the future that will hopefully change that you know maybe it's kyc and you know kind of better better ways of managing wallets or you know different things like that but fundamentally that problem that you control your own money i think is going to be a problem for governments and and it'd be interesting to see how that plays out because they obviously see the benefits of blockchain as a technology and uh you know through this whole cbdc's right because carrying fiat around i mean who carries cash around right i mean it's 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 uh it's expensive to to create it's you know yeah, uh, you know, a pointless exercise when you've got Apple Pay and all kinds of WeChat Pay and all kinds of stuff. So, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how this plays out over the over the next few years. But, uh, you know, as you say, I don't think it's hard to see what's exactly in for them um, outside outside the fact that um, the new generation of people want to control their own money. So unless politicians want to be voted out because they're being unduly restrictive, um, they have to start understanding the new paradigm that we're in, I think.
0: Well, central bank digital currencies are something that's extremely lucrative for a government because there is no pound or dollar that can go untraced when you have a currency that exists on the blockchain and therefore there's not a single pound or dollar of tax money that you miss out on. But as you say, whether or not they'll want to endorse other cryptos apart from their own central bank digital currency, that remains to be seen. Anything you'd like to add on that or is that a good synopsis?
1: No, it's a great synopsis, yeah.
0: Awesome. Cool. Sudo. thank you so much for your time today. We are going to wrap up very shortly. Let me ask one more question. I'm very curious to hear your answer. And this will be on the tip of everyone's tongue at the forefront of their mind. Are we still in a Bitcoin bull market? What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, look, you know, after this, prof- would say, you know, this is not financial advice. And this is my course, own personal, personal view. Um, I'm super bullish Crypto. um, I'm not sure which time frame that's in. So obviously, everyone wants it today or this month or next month. Um, I think we are in a super cycle, and I think we're going we're going to 100 or 200k in Bitcoin, for example. I just don't know the time period. Um, The trading pattern this year has been very similar to what I remember from 2017, uh, where there was sort of you know um, when I first started tracking Bitcoin and and if that repeats itself obviously crypto or bitcoin is going to 100k probably by the end of the year but really that's that's a big if and a big big call i think fundamentally i'm super bullish yet so you know you have to be you have to be prepared for kind of big drawdowns and big gains because it's 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 volatile and uh but a 100 percent behind it still
0: time frame is so important you're totally correct here is some interesting time frame facts. This is the time frame that we should all be going into the crypto world as Bitcoin investors with this in mind. If you buy Bitcoin, there's never been a four year period history where you haven't made money. And that's if you buy it at the very worst time. If you buy it and you hold it for three years, 97% chance. If you buy and hold it for two years, 72% chance. If you buy and hold it for one year, 53% chance. So what does that tell you? That tells you that if you're getting into the crypto market, you're a passive holder, in bitcoin you should worst case scenario be expecting to wait four years before you're profitable that is the time frame that you we should go into it with unfortunately with crypto and bitcoin because it's such a nascent it's a market that tends to attract investors who are inexperienced as a gateway to further invest in and i feel like every jitter every fluctuation people panic sell their bitcoin it's a very jittery volatile market and hence why that's why we tend to hear stories like I bought Bitcoin, then I lost 10% of my investment three days after. It, it will do. It, it might do that. But you have to have a more broad, longer time frame before you go into the market so that you can be most likely to make profits. That's the best mindset that you can have, have a long term time frame. But of course, this is not financial advice. and Suru and I would never like to lead anybody astray or for anybody to make any bad investment decisions based off this. Please do your own research, just our opinions. Did you Have you heard those those stats before, Suri? I don't know if you have. I have.
1: I yeah. have, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So best time for him to go into it. But you know what? S&P 500, the very worst period, of, the very longest you would have had to wait in history to make money and be profitable in the S&P 500 was actually even longer than that. It was five years, which is why when people say get into indexes, and bonds your fa will usually say five years is the minimum time frame before which you should think about drawing profits elsewise you might want to think about another investment vehicle I th-
1: no, absolutely i think I'd, I'd, I'd like to add two things to, to what you said james yes. which i completely agree with one is uh, i think um you know it, it's definitely don't trade futures uh, you know or leverage instruments in bitcoin because it's super volatile you could lose all your deposits so you know, I think for early people into crypto, it's definitely worthwhile buying spot. And you can, there's a number of exchanges you can do that in, uh, you know, in the in the UK UK's CoinFloor, there's Coinbase, there's Kraken, uh, there's, you know, you could do that. And the second thing I think, and, you know, this is more really, I'm not a FA, but it's, you know, dollar cost averaging. And so, you know, buy an amount that's comfortable, that you're comfortable investing on a monthly basis. So, you drip feed your cash into, um, into the market. And, you know, DCA has has proven to be a pretty effective strategy as well. So if you combine, if you keep those two mindsets, um, you know, dip your toes and and you're interested in crypto, there's a great way to dip your toes. Wonderful.
0: Sudo. on that note, we're going to bring proceedings to a close today. Can I just say thank you so much for coming on the Density Invest podcast. There were so many gems of knowledge that you dished out there today. Thank you so, so much.
1: Thank you for having me, Jim.
0: Sudo, it has been my pleasure. I hope you have a tremendous day and we shall speak again very soon.
1: Cool. See ya.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly. Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated.